Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff. A production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer for iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? It's time for the tech news for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. And we're going to start off by talking about the United States Supreme Court, which has been hearing a couple of legal cases that involve Section 230. Now, in case you're not familiar with that, Section 230 is part of Title 47 of the United States Code. It's part of the Communications Decency Act of 1996. But we're not going to jump all the way into all that because it really gets in the weeds. What Section 230 is about is accountability, specifically when it comes to stuff that's been posted online. Namely, that a platform is it responsible for the material posted to that platform? Just as you wouldn't blame a street corner if someone standing on the street corner were to incite a riot. It's not the street corner's fault. It's the person who did the inciting. So to 
30 extends a similar protection to online platforms and allows users to post content, whether it's text or audio or video or whatever. And it also gives the platforms the authority to moderate content as they see fit. This is what lets platforms create content moderation policies and then enforce those. And it protects such platforms from legal attacks for enforcing their policies. Uh, there's also some stuff there about making a reasonable attempt to remove illegal content. Like if a platform fails to do that, then it doesn't receive full protection because it is seen as sort of a facilitator. But as long as a platform demonstrates that it does make a reasonable attempt to remove such content, it receives this protection. Now, this seemingly simple idea has been in the background of some extremely complicated and emotionally charged issues. It has prompted both the left and the right political forces in the United States to criticize and question the policy. Now, sometimes it's because a platform fails to remove content that appears to lead to harm against people. Sometimes it's that there's this perception that platforms are purposefully censoring a specific population, namely conservative voices. That's one of the frequent narratives we hear in this space. One of the two cases before the Supreme Court deals with a really terrible situation, one in which a woman died during an ISIS attack, and her family says that attack happened partly because YouTube allowed videos that incited violence to stay on its platform. Moreover, that the YouTube algorithm was serving up these videos, which was then essentially inciting violence. So that's that's sort of the approach this is taking, is trying not to say that YouTube is responsible for the content, but that YouTube is responsible for promoting the content through this algorithm. And that therefore the platform should be held responsible when violence actually happened in the real world. Now, clearly, this is an emotionally charged case. But as the arguments proceeded, the justices on the Supreme Court seemed to come to the conclusion that they just don't know enough about the Internet to really come to a decision on this. Like they don't have a full understanding of what the consequences could be for deciding upon this case. Or even if this is a matter that should be decided by the judicial arm of the U.S. government at all, this could perhaps be something that Congress, the legislative branch of the U.S. government, should tackle instead. Now, I have to applaud the justices who seem to realize that any dismantling of Section 230 would fundamentally change how the Internet works and really cause catastrophic damage, or at least consequences that they could not anticipate. I imagine most platforms would be forced to essentially shut down rather than take on the huge burden of either being strict gatekeepers of content, meaning they would not allow anything to publish on their platform until it had been thoroughly reviewed and sanitized and and made sure that it, it doesn't uh, fall into any categories that would cause problems which is not realistic, especially when you're looking at big platforms like YouTube gets like 500 hours worth of content uploaded to it every single minute. It is impossible for humans to review that much content and be certain that every single second of every video that is that is passed does not cause any issues. 
Alternatively, the other approach that the other side has said, not really in as many words, but effectively, is to allow a fire hose of everything to publish on these platforms, regardless of whether or not the content was harmful, because that's the only way you can get around any kind of of accusation of censorship, right? The only way to prove you are not censoring content is to allow all content on the platform. And clearly that is not a good approach either. It's a no win situation because while you do have general agreement that Section 230 creates problems, there's a fundamental disagreement on why people think it causes problems. They think it causes two very different problems. Therefore, either solution would be the opposite of what the other side wants, and it would be a disaster. Also, a lot of the justices were said to be bored and didn't really engage with the case, which probably is because they're not exactly the online generation. Thank goodness they serve for their lifetime. Anyway, Section 230 seems safe for the moment, at least from the Supreme Court. To quote the band of troubadours called Stained, it's been a while since we've talked about Elon Musk and his exploits, but We've got a few short stories that relate to him today. One is that Musk continues to fire people over at Twitter after having already laid off around two thirds of the total workforce since he took control of the company. Most recently, people in engineering and sales departments found themselves let go, while Musk continues to demand for some massive changes to Twitter's systems. Most recently, he set a very aggressive goal to overhaul how Twitter serves ads to users. Currently, Twitter relies on profile data and user behaviors to determine which ads to serve to specific people. Musk wants to change that to be more like how search engines serve up ads and make it more keyword based rather than behavior based. This has been met with some resistance and criticism, though mainly from former Twitter employees, because I imagine if you are a current Twitter employee, you're doing your best to keep your head down so that you don't become another layoff statistic once Musk goes on another round of firing people. Whether Twitter can make a keyword-based system work better for ad relevance remains to be seen, but there's no denying that the company has been in really rough shape from an ad standpoint because a lot of the big advertisers that used to spend a lot of money on Twitter have kind of bailed on the platform since Musk took over. Two days ago, Musk tweeted out that the Twitter algorithm will be, quote, made open source next week, end quote. Musk has said repeatedly in the past that he felt the Twitter recommendation algorithm could be improved drastically if it were made open source. And that would mean that developers all around the world would be able to contribute edits and changes and improvements and detect weaknesses and vulnerabilities as a community instead of keeping everything behind Twitter's closed doors. Moreover, adopting an open source approach could take some serious heat off Twitter, because like I mentioned earlier, there's this general perception among the politically conservative here in the United States that online platforms have an inherent bias against conservative messages and points of view, that platforms like Twitter penalize such messages by restricting their promotion so that fewer people will see those tweets, or in some cases, they could potentially be prevented from being seen at all. The conservatives are, you know, saying they're the target of shadow banning. That's a policy where a platform allows the user to post as much as they want. Like the user is not told that they're being prevented from saying anything, 
but the platform suppresses the spread of those messages so that fewer people can see and therefore engage with the material. Going open source would mean that anyone could look at the recommendation algorithm and determine what, if any, bias is built into it. So there are a few reasons why Twitter would want to go this route. One last Musk story. He also announced this week that Tesla, another one of his companies, will be opening an engineering HQ in Palo Alto, California. The office space will occupy a building that was formerly used by Hewitt Packard. And Elon Musk has a rather contentious relationship with the state of California. In 2020, it seemed like he was actually going to make Texas the center of Musk world because uh, SpaceX is, is centered out of there. The Gigafactory he was building was in Texas. He moved to Texas. And part of the reason for this might have been the fact that Musk was really upset with California's shelter in place mandate during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. He did not appreciate the fact that he was being told he couldn't force his employees to go to into work. But when Musk did relocate to Texas, Tesla kept its corporate HQ in California. And now there will be an engineering HQ there as well. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some more news stories to cover. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. 
I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. The Seattle Times reports that Mark Zuckerberg, after indicating that Meta was not likely to hold off additional layoffs, is now looking at holding additional layoffs. The news outlet says that HR and legal teams are drawing up plans for a reorg that will likely include significant downsizing. I'm sure Meta will position this as becoming more efficient. That's been the message for 2023. This is the year of efficiency. And thus, this is going to be about reducing redundancy and further cutting back after Zuckerberg himself indicated that the company employed too many people for the amount of work that was needed to be done. The Seattle Times also reported that unnamed sources within Meta believe that some employees are likely going to quit after having their jobs dramatically change. And I infer that to mean that Meta purposefully is making at least some employees unhappy so that they choose to leave on their own terms. Because if someone quits on you, you don't necessarily owe them a severance package. So if you make the environment unpleasant enough and you convince them to leave on their own, you don't have to lay them off. Now, maybe I'm being too cynical, but according to the rumors, part of the big change that's coming up is that some leaders within Meta are going to find themselves in redefined jobs where they won't have any direct reports, which means they will no longer be leaders because there won't be anyone for them to lead. So maybe this is the group of people that insiders think are going to be encouraged to quit the company. And meanwhile, this is going to change the hierarchy where Zuckerberg will presumably have more direct oversight over company operations. So we'll see. On the legal front, Meta had a setback this week when a judge refused to throw out a jury's decision to hit Meta with $175 million in damages for patent infringement. This case was brought by an app developer called Voxer Incorporated, and it concerns a technology that's used in live streaming services. The jury previously found that Meta had committed patent infringement and found in favor of Voxer. Meta then asked the judge to throw out the verdict, saying the jury was misled. The evidence was not sufficient to draw that conclusion. And besides, Voxer was mean to them on the playground. All right, that last point was a bit of embellishment from yours truly, but Meta reps did say that Voxer's lawyer made quote-unquote inappropriate comments about the company. I don't know how inappropriate the comments were. A lot of people say some really bad stuff about Meta, and I think a lot of it is entirely appropriate, but maybe from a legal perspective, it's a very different story. Meta still has the option to appeal this decision to a higher court, so we'll see if the company decides to do that or if it will cough up the money and just pay the damages. Don't know yet. Now, quasi-related to Meta, the founders of Instagram, who left Meta years ago, have released their AI-powered news-gathering app Artifact to the general public. It was previously in a beta rollout. And basically, this is an app that gathers news headlines uh, that the app thinks you would be interested in reading. And the way it works is you download the app. They have it for iOS and Android. And you start off by selecting a few topic categories that you personally find interesting. This is not a comprehensive list, 
Also, the taxonomy of the categories is a little bit strange. Like when I signed up, I saw climate change, which was listed under technology. But there was another area where it was like global or international news. I thought it was weird that climate change was not under there. But the idea is that you tell the app what subjects you're interested in, and the app will curate articles across various publications. This, by the way, also includes any publications you subscribe to. Part of the process is you indicate which uh, which news outlets you might have a subscription to, like if it's New York Times or something. And you can then have your login so that you're able to read those materials as well. Then as you use the app and you read articles that the app has gathered for you, it gathers more information about what you gravitate toward and what you are really interested in based upon what you're actually reading. So theoretically, the more you use the app, the better the app gets at figuring out what you are really interested in. So over time, you get a personally curated news feed. Now, I only just downloaded it, and I haven't really played with it very much, so I do not know how effective it is yet. And I've seen some reviews that have criticized the user interface, but personally, I think it's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. It does seem like a decent use of AI, though hopefully it will not be a use that over time filters out all news that would challenge a person's views, because that would just create an AI-powered echo chamber effect, and we've got enough of those already. Activision Blizzard, the game company that is kind of in a limbo space regarding Microsoft's attempts to acquire it, announced that late last year, a hacker got access to Activision's systems through the old standby, tricking an Activision employee with a classic phishing attack. Now, I've said over and over, people traditionally are the weakest link in network security. There's not any need for a hacker to sit down in the dark at a computer terminal, their face highlighted by the glow of the display, and then try typing in three different password guesses before getting entry into their targeted system. Instead, you just hit some employees with phishing schemes, and chances are you're going to get a bite somewhere that will give you a foot in the door. Anyway, the surprising thing here is that apparently Activision's employees were not made aware of the attack before the announcement to the general public, which is a heck of a way to find out that someone got unauthorized access to your company's systems. And it also doesn't speak very well of Activision's process to try and avoid future attacks. Typically, in the wake of something like this, a company will put employees on high alert. And often they'll even make employees take a security course to better familiarize themselves with phishing attacks and the appropriate response to them. Uh, I could say that here at iHeart, we have a security team that even puts us to the test occasionally because they'll craft a bogus email from a bogus address, and then they'll look to see who, if anyone, bites. So it's all meant to increase awareness and to improve security. So it's odd that Activision has allegedly taken a more passive approach and didn't even alert employees to the attack in the first place until it became public info. The company has said no sensitive data was accessed or stolen during this breach. But according to Gizmodo, there's a security group called VX Underground that claims the hacker made off with some internal Activision documents that included sensitive employee data, including personal information, as well as like salary info and stuff. 
Uh, this is really damaging to Activision as well. It's not the sort of thing the company wants to see, especially when you also take into account all the attempts at Activision for employees to unionize. Uh, because one of the big big things in union <laughs> organization is often discussions about how companies try to make it against corporate policy to do things like talk about compensation. Because if you start talking about compensation within a company, people will know how they stack up to others and they can see where disparities are. And that's something that unions aim to eliminate, to, to level out that and remove disparity. So, uh, yeah, not the sort of thing that Activision Blizzard wants to see happen ever, but particularly with salary information, while they're also trying to, to dissuade uh, organization efforts. The EU continues to force Apple's hand, at least that's what it seems like. Previously, the EU ruled that all smartphones and similar gadgets must have a USB-C charging port, effectively making USB-C the universal charging standard in the EU. And that's probably going to force these companies to do the same globally, because otherwise you have to have two different production chains for products meant for the EU versus anywhere else. Companies like Apple have long relied on proprietary hardware for charging, which helps Apple control that supply. So Apple can either sell its own version directly to consumers and make a lot of profit that way, or Apple can require third parties to pay hefty licensing fees to Apple before they can sell their own version of the technology. But because of the EU law, future Apple smartphones will need to have USB-C port, at least in Europe. But now... The rumor is that iOS 17, which is due to launch next year, will allow something that Apple has long resisted on iOS devices, which is sideloading. Sideloading is when a user can choose to download apps from places other than the official platform app store. Ever since Apple first launched the iOS app store, which was, you know, like almost a year after the iPhone came out, it has restricted Apple users from downloading apps from anywhere else. Unless you were to do some alterations to your iPhone, you could not load apps anywhere except from the iOS app store. This is also part of what gives Apple the power to take a healthy cut out of in-app transactions. This is like one of the reasons why the EU has pressured Apple to allow alternatives, because if Apple controls the policy for apps that are found in the iOS store and Apple prevents anyone from going outside the store to get an app, it forces developers to play by Apple's rules. They don't have any alternatives. Apple has long maintained that restricting apps to the official store means that each app that goes into the store has actually gone through a review process and that this helps Apple make sure that the app is safe for users and that without this step, users will run the risk of downloading malicious apps. So they have long maintained that the whole reason this policy is in place is to protect people from malicious applications. And there's no doubt that there will be an increased risk for malicious apps with sideloading. However, I think it's more than fair to say that Apple is far more concerned that alternatives to the App Store will reduce Apple's power over developers and it will reduce the power over the apps that can appear on iOS devices and that there's a chance that revenues could take a really serious hit or at least 
not increase at the same rate that they had before. And as we all know, it's not enough to make a lot of money. You got to make more money than you did last quarter. That's really the secret sauce. Okay, I've got a couple more stories to finish up with, but before we get to that, let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Okay, when we left off, we talked about the EU and Apple. Well, the EU is also following the lead of several U.S. government agencies in that it has asked all staff of the EU governing body, so so government EU staff, to uninstall TikTok from the corporate-owned devices. So anything that's owned by the EU executive branch uh, should not have TikTok installed on it. If you work for the EU and you have a device that was issued to you by your employer, you cannot have TikTok on it. If you do, you should remove it. 
Now, again, just like in the United States, I think this is a totally reasonable request. If it is a corporate owned device, you shouldn't be putting TikTok on it unless for some reason your job in this corporation relates directly to TikTok. Then it makes sense. But I mean, if it's for personal use, do not allow that on those official devices. The this move, by the way, does not prevent those employees from having TikTok on their personal devices. They can still have them on their own personal phones, just not their work phones. And why? Well, there's this concern that TikTok could be gathering data about users and their employers and other sensitive information. And since TikTok is the subsidiary of a Chinese company, there are national security concerns. But even if we ignore the Chinese part, you know, TikTok has repeatedly said that that is not a real concern, that that China does not have access to all this data, that it is a U.S.-centric company. Those are the arguments TikTok has made in the U.S. Well, this is the EU. So you're still talking about a company that's based outside of the EU. And while the United States isn't antagonistic to the EU, the fact is the EU has long pushed to protect its citizens' data from being harvested and exploited outside of the European Union. So it stands to reason it would move to protect the government data as well. Again, I don't think this is unreasonable. I don't know how I feel about a wider ban on TikTok in general, but I certainly think it's a reasonable expectation for corporate or government-owned devices. In the world of crypto, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States has moved to block Binance.us from acquiring Voyager. That's a crypto lender that filed for bankruptcy last July. It was one of several high-profile cryptocurrency businesses that failed last year. It happened before the, the huge FTX breakdown. So why is the SEC concerned about Binance.us buying out the assets of a crypto lender, Voyager? Well, one is that the SEC worries that the acquisition would, quote, violate laws on the unregistered offer and sales of securities, end quote. This is according to a report from Reuters. Adding to that complexity is that the U.S. government has been looking into Binance. Now, that's not Binance.us. It is Binance, the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world. This was the one that initially said it was going to bail out FTX and then backed off on that. Instead, we're talking about Binance.us, which is claimed to be a quote-unquote independent partner of Binance. But it's also really complicated, and I cannot even begin to unravel the legal and structural contexts of Binance.us in comparison to Binance. I do not know to what extent the two are dependent upon one another, <laughs> and and that's by on purpose, like it's meant to be <laughs> difficult to tell. Because like Binance, the overall company is an offshore company for the purposes of, of mostly uh, avoiding regulation. So that part of it, the fact that Binance.us has some connection to Binance to some degree, but it's unknown to how to what extent says means the SEC says, look, we don't even know what this connection is and therefore we cannot allow this to go through because 
it's very possible that the acquisition would violate multiple laws. And due to the obtuse nature of Binance.us, it's impossible for us to say. So we can't allow it to go forward. Now, I don't know if that's just going to be the end of it or if this is just part of the journey or how this will be resolved. But I wanted to talk about it because that ambiguity, I don't think it's a bug. I think it's a feature. And it may very well be that this is yet one more step where we see governments start to chip away at one of the foundational elements in the crypto world, which is this idea of these these uh, uh, financial systems that are not regulated and not overseen by government agencies. Uh, turns out that sometimes that's going to end up rubbing government agencies the wrong way. Uh, also, when you have incredibly massive failures like with FTX, it starts to bring into question if these systems themselves are trustworthy without oversight. And um, I don't know the answer to that, y'all, because it's not like every government is squeaky clean either. <laughs> it's it's it just seems like when you start getting a lot of money grouped together in, in a place uh, whomever is set to be in charge of overseeing that ends up having lots of conflicts arise. It's almost like it just kind of naturally happens and it doesn't matter whether we call it a government or not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I know that I don't have that problem. I'm not overburdened with the problem of too much money. I'm willing to give it a shot and find out if I'm the exception to the rule, though. So, yeah, uh, this, again, goes out to all the billionaires out there. If you want to test me, feel free to send me, you know, a few hundred million. Uh, you know, you won't even miss it. I'd be willing to to bite the bullet on that one. Finally, Reuters also reports that Mercedes Benz is going to begin to offer a, quote, supercomputer like performance, end quote, in its cars moving forward, complete with advanced self-driving capabilities. Reuters reports that customers will have to pay extra for those options and that they will enable level three autonomous driving operations. Level three is a big step, right? The stuff we've mostly seen here in the United States hovers in the lever level two area. Level two means that you still have to have a human operator who is effectively considered the driver and that all the other systems are assisting the driver. Level three is at the lowest level where the computer system is considered to be the driver as opposed to the human. Though you still need to have a human in the driver's seat who is able to take over and the autonomous features will only work under specific conditions. Outside of those conditions, it has to be under human control. However, all that being said, Mercedes-Benz is going to be offering this stuff moving forward. It sounds like the computer experience is a big part of the marketing for Mercedes-Benz, that that's going to be kind of the focus of the cool features that will be included in these vehicles. Uh, they also announced a partnership with Google that will incorporate Google's navigation systems into their vehicles. That includes things not just as, you know, turn left in 100 feet, but also things like real-time traffic updates so that you can have your vehicle reroute if, say, there's a, an accident that happened, you know, 10 miles up the highway or something, and it can reroute around those sort of things without having to have human input. So that's kind of interesting. 
And that's all the news stories I have today, Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. I hope you are all well. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. You can do so by going to Twitter and tweeting at TechStuffHSW. Let me know what you would like to hear. Or you can download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download, free to use. You just type Tech Stuff into the little search field there. It'll take you to the podcast page. There you'll see a little microphone icon. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like to hear. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.